Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hello, I'm Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 55 of the Liberty Cafe. Thank you for being with us today, and thanks to Texas Scorecard, those great men and women who are fighting for liberty here in Texas for sponsoring us. Go to uh, Texas Scorecard's website and find out all about what's going on in Texas in the fight for battle, uh, the battle for liberty at the, the state level and the local level. You, you, there's not a better place to go to find out what's going on and how it affects uh, your daily lives. So go take a look at all that. All right, so last week on episode 54, we, we looked at the law as the foundation of liberty. And that's very true. So this is part two of our look at the law. We're going to take a little different look at it, not that the law isn't a good thing, particularly when we're talking about God's law, but when men get a hold of the institutions of government and start to distort the law, bad things happen. The law no longer reflects God's character, and so that no longer convicts us of our sins and drives us to him through, through the gospel. It no longer helps us to, to look and see what we should do right. Uh, instead, it starts doing some really bad things. The, the law, instead of being a terror to the wicked and a blessing to the good, it gets flipped around and does just the opposite thing. And sadly, in America today and many other places around the world, uh, we're, we're seeing a situation where the law is being perverted by people who want to use it for their own end. So to help us better understand what has become of America and Texas law today, I want to turn to a 19th century French economist and writer, Frederick Bastiat. In 1850, Bastiat wrote one of the most important books on liberty, and it's called The Law. So what is the law then, according to Bastiat, and I think also according to the Bible in many ways? Well, Bastiat says it's a collective organization of the individual right to lawful defense. He writes that each of us has a natural right from God to defend his person, his liberty, and his property. Was that an accurate representation of what the law is? I, I think when he's talking about the civil law, I think it is. I think it's in the ballpark. I think it's moves us in the right direction. For instance, you know, when we look at God's law from the Bible, we, we learned last week that one of the things that it does is it restrains us. It restrains us from committing evil acts because we fear punishment. Right? Well, what's this punishment that we fear? Well, it's this collective organization of the individual right to lawful defense, because what is it? What are these evil acts that we're doing? Well, we're attacking somebody else. We're either attacking that 
the person, his body, we're attacking his liberty, or we're attacking his property. And so if biblical law provides this fear of punishment through collective action, I think Bastiat is on the right track by calling the law that we deal with today this collective organization of the individual right to lawful defense. And we certainly, I think, see that in the Declaration of Independence where we read, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with, a, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So that last phrase there, next to last, that to secure these rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is just very close to Bastiat's person, liberty, and property, government is instituted among men. So we, we see that same concept of protection of our rights in the Declaration of Independence that we do in Bastiat's the law and the definition of the law. So from there, Bastiat goes on and says, well, if common force has to be used for protecting people because individuals have a right to protect themselves, then certainly common force, which is just a collection of the individual rights, cannot lawfully be used to destroy including seizing, the person, liberty, and property of individual groups. So it's it's just a given that just like we can't go take uh, somebody else's property and for ourselves, collectively, we can't go take somebody's property and distribute it among ourselves. That That's wrong. But Bastiat talks about how this becomes perverted, this, this concept of protection, uh, defense becomes perverted because he says that he doesn't use this term, fallen world, but it's true in this fallen world that people wish to live and prosper at the expense of others. Why is that? Well, in order to live, we need stuff. It's kind of a technical term, but we've got to have stuff. What do we have to have? We have to have house. We have to have clothing. We have to have food. We have to have transportation. We have to have tools, all those kinds of things. And if we don't have them, we don't survive. And how do we get that stuff? Well, there's two primary ways. One is to work for it. The other is to steal it. Now, there is a third way. People can give it to us through charity, and, and that's the way it's supposed to work because, you know, not everybody can do all the work that's needed to be done, or sometimes maybe they just don't want to. But whatever the case is, there is a way of getting the stuff that people need from those who have it to those who need it through work or through charity. Uh, we don't need corporate welfare or welfare to make that happen. But what happens is 
in the name of some of these things is that we have this concept that Bastiat calls legal plunder, where the law is used to make legal in a common sense what would be illegal in the individual sense. And so he asks the question, how is this legal plunder to be identified? And he says, quite simply, see if the law takes from some persons what belongs to them and gives it to other persons to whom it does not belong. See if the law benefits one citizen at the expense of another by doing what the citizen himself cannot do without committing a crime. So if that is legal plunder, and if legal plunder is immoral, if it's wrong, if it's a violation of God's law, it's pretty easy to see that, I don't know, let's just pick a number here, 80% of what the government does today is morally wrong. Now, we can have conversations about this, and and matter of fact, we're getting ready to have one. Look at some of the individual things that Bastiat says and some of the examples that are going on. But whatever your number is, 80%, 50%, 40%, it's quite clear that most of the things, I think, that government does today comes under this definition of legal plunder. Then the um, then the question is, well, is there some reason for government to be doing this? And generally, I would say no. But we'll talk about some specifics right now. So Bastiat gives a lot of names or terms to this legal plunder. He writes, now legal plunder can be committed in an infinite number of ways. Thus, we have an infinite number of plans for organizing it. Tariffs, protection, benefits, subsidies, encouragements, progressive taxation, public schools, guaranteed jobs, guaranteed profits, minimum wages, a right to relief, a right to the tools of labor, free credit, and so on and so on. All these plans as a whole with their common aim of legal plunder constitute socialism. Right. So that's obviously, a, you know, a, a, you know, start calling things socialism and it gives it a bad rap. Well, let me, let me put that another way. Call things socialism and it used to give things a bad rap until, eh, I don't know, you, you can pick your, uh, pick your timeline there. But certainly now that AOC and others like her are in Congress, socialism no longer seems to be have such a a bad connotation anymore. Matter of fact, that's where a lot of people wanted to be taking us. So I wanted to kind of take that list of um, of Bastiat's and just look at a few things that are going on, have been going on since Bastiat wrote, and all the way up until today. And I want to go back. We'll start back about the time that Bastiat was writing, because two things he points out that were causing great problems, two types of legal plunder that he points out were causing great problems in the United States in that day were slaves. I'm sorry, let me try that again, slavery and tariffs. Slavery and tariffs. Now, we all understand about the problems that slavery caused, and well, not just that they caused, but the problem that slavery was, right? Taking somebody's body and saying that you own it and using 
all their everything about them, their life, their liberty, their property, making it yours, is just wrong. And we saw some of the results of that in the Civil War in the United States. But there was another factor in that the lead up to the Civil War that caused some problems as well, and that was tariffs. You may recall, if we go all the way back to the founding of the American country in the revolution, that tariffs were a big issue back then. What was the problem? Well, the, you had the Stamp Act, uh, you had the Tea Act, where people couldn't buy paper, for instance, without paying for the stamp that goes on it. People couldn't buy tea without paying the stamp being a tariff. People couldn't buy tea without paying the tariff on it. And that's where this so tariffs had a, and the problems with them had a huge impact and were a major factor in the founding of our country. Well, tariffs were just as big as issue in the 1840s and 50s leading up to the American Civil War because we still had tariffs. The, the difference was, was that back at the founding of the country, the English were imposing tariffs on Americans Leading up to the Civil War, Americans were imposing tariffs on other Americans. So what was happening largely was that – so up in the, in the north, that was where the industry was. The industrial north, they made a lot of their money through industry, making finished goods and those kinds of things. That wasn't the case down in the south. The south was more rural and agrarian. They made their money by growing things and selling them. A lot of those things they sold, they sold to the North, but they also sold to the English. And then that all came back to them in the form of finished goods. Well, it, it turns out, and of course, England had been an industrial giant for longer than America had, and they could make finished products over in England, ship them to America, incur the cost of shipping, and still, in many cases, underprice the goods that were being sold out of the North. Well, the North didn't like that. They didn't like the competition for, from England, and so they wanted to impose tariffs on those goods coming in from England. And because they had the political muscle in Congress, they did. And there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of fights about this, but the bottom line was that these tariffs went in place and largely remained in place. And guess who paid these tariffs? Well, it was all people, but particularly the people in the South. The people in the North who worked for the factories, they benefited from higher salaries and, and greater wealth around them. But there was no benefit to the people in the South. They, they got the same thing they were going to get, whether from England or the North, but they had to pay higher prices because the, the people in the North raised their prices underneath what the, the English goods would cost because – they could do that with these tariffs, and they didn't have to pay the tariff, so they made a lot more money on it up in the north. That was a huge part of the battle going on in, in England, in the United States back then. Let's move forward to the George W. Bush administration and talk about tariffs. Um, so this protectionism has gone on for a long time, as we've seen. Well, it went on during the administration of George W. Bush. Remember, he got elected. It was a very close election, and the Senate 
was hanging in the balance to some extent. And so a lot of people in, in West Virginia and Pennsylvania were clamoring for tariffs on imported steel because turns out the Chinese and other people could make steel cheaper, ship it over here, and sell it for less than they could in Pennsylvania and West Virginia for a variety of reasons. And so they want to be protected in those states. Well, I think President Bush knew that that didn't make a lot of economic sense. But guess what? There were big Senate races coming up in West Virginia and Pennsylvania. And so George W. Bush and his administration made the political choice to impose tariffs on foreign steel so they could benefit from the political fallout. And that's what they did. We all paid higher prices for cars, but some Republicans got to stay in power a little bit longer than they did. It didn't last all that long, but you know, it might have helped them out anyway. But that's what terrorists do. They help a small group of people and they hurt everybody else. Public schools is another example of this. I mean, you think about public schools and you go, oh, well, that's, we're just trying to help poor people and get into schools and it's our basic needs for education, all those kind of things. Public schools are a racket. They make – people make a lot of money off of public schools. There is an entire industry or multiple industries out there, textbooks, administrators, I mean – curriculum development, all these kinds of things that make huge amount, billions of dollars of money off of public schools. And that doesn't include the, you know, the, the universities who have schools of education, colleges of education, teachers and administrators. Have you ever tried to compare the salaries of public school administrators and teachers to private school teachers, for instance? They make a lot more money. Why do they do that? Well, because the government has a lot of free money, and they just bid up the price of teachers, and they pay them more, not because they're worth more, but because their unions are loud and noisy and cause a lot of problems, and so they just pay them more money. So we're all getting hurt by this legal plunder of what is public schools, and except for just those few people who make money from it. Uh, we also have uh, public or legal plunder in the form of property tax abatements here in Texas, where I'm from, Chapter 312 and Chapter 313 in the Texas Tax Code have provisions that allow local governments, sometimes it's school districts, sometimes it's counties, sometimes it's cities or hospital districts, to cut the property taxes of some business who wants to come in and build a factory there and say, come build a factory, bring your jobs, and we'll give you tax cuts. Well, that's all good for the people who own the business or work at the business, but most of the rest of us have to pay higher taxes because of that. And, and this has been sold on the terms of economic development, but it doesn't develop any kind of economy. It just shifts money around for the, for the, for the most part or makes it actually the economy less efficient because it puts people gives people money who might not be starting businesses otherwise. And that's particularly the case when it comes to renewable energy. In Texas this year, the renewable energy industry is going to get about $2 billion in tax subsidies, tax credits, tax benefits from operations from the, from the state and local and federal government, about $2 billion. 
And they wouldn't even be in business if it weren't for those subsidies because they can't make money because wind energy and solar energy can't compete with natural gas, with coal, uh, with even nuclear, probably if nuclear was allowed to operate uh, in a more free market way without all the regulations. You just can't compete. So we have an entire industry that exists only because of legal plunder. And, and the same thing has happened. I'm not even going to go into all the details, but you know, with the Texas electricity market, uh, the the whole blackout thing, the natural gas industry in Texas made billions and billions of dollars off of that because the Texas Public Utility Commission just artificially raised prices. And over a period of weeks, two weeks or so, three weeks or so, Texans spent more on electricity in that three-week period than they had in the entire year before because of this intervention. But yet, the Texas House of Representatives, the governor of the state of Texas, and, and ultimately the Texas legislature wouldn't do anything about it. They could have reversed it, but they didn't because the businesses who wanted the legal plunder out of that were powerful enough to get them not to change courses in reverse. It was very terrible. Um, another couple examples when it comes down to, uh, well, you got the Governor Abbott's Texas Enterprise Fund, same kind of thing. Come to Texas and I'll just give you money. It's not even a tax abatement. I'll just give you money. He's doing that all the time. Uh, unfortunately, his predecessor, uh, my former boss, Governor Perry, liked that kind of stuff too. It's just, you know, everybody wants to come see you when you have money to give them. Then we, we kind of get over in the area of uh, legal plunder when it comes to taking people's real property through the process of eminent domain. Uh, I, I you're not out there. You can't see me. I can't see you. But just love anybody to raise their hand if you've been to the Applewhite Reservoir. Okay, don't see any hands out there. Well, that's because there is no Applewhite Reservoir. But the city of San Antonio, actually the San Antonio Water System, SAWS, thought that we were way, using way too much money from the uh, Edwards Aquifer back in the 90s. And because you, know, you don't want to take water from the ground because it could hurt some little fishies and snail darters and snails and things like that. So we're going to have to build this giant reservoir at the cost of hundreds of millions of dollars and make the people pay for it. But the problem was they didn't have the money for it, so they had to go to the voters to pass bonds. And they went to the voters, I think it was three times, and every single time the voters turned them down. And they said, basically, we've got all the water we need. We have this one of the largest freshest reservoirs of water right underneath our feet. Why should we pay to build this big lake? And they're right. But unfortunately, before all that was finished, SAWS had gone out and taken all this land through eminent domain to build this reservoir. Well, when the bonds didn't go through, they didn't give the money back. I mean, the property back, they just kept it. And the people were out of their land. There was no reservoir there. But then... Somebody thought, hey, why don't we open a car factory there? And they started looking around, and Toyota was interested. And Toyota came and built its Toyota truck factory outside of San Antonio. And, of course, today that's a big business, and they do a lot of trucks there. But they built it on the backs of the people who had the land stolen from them, legally plundered from them by the by one arm of government, and then 
took that property and gave it to somebody else. I guarantee you Toyota would have paid more for that property than those people got through eminent domain. There's a lot of other examples we could talk about on this, but we'll leave it at that. Legal plunder is with us everywhere we are. And, well, I will talk about one more type of legal plunder today, and that's abortion. So think about it. The, the law, as we've looked about, God's law, civil law, is designed not just to protect our property, but our life as well. Yet our country has decided to use the law to rob little babies of their lives. Right? We're just going to legalize the murder of our infants. I, I can't think of a better way of describing the horrors of legal plunder. Right? And there are certainly are plenty of people profiting from this legal plunder. Right? Remember, legal plunder is taking something from some person and other people benefit off of it. In this case, it's the lives of these babies. But who's making money off of this? Well, there's a vast abortion industry out there making billions of dollars every year of what is otherwise known as murder. Politicians have built careers off of the legal plunder of abortions, defending abortion rights. And then, of course, we, we don't often mention this because it's, it's kind of hard, but these erstwhile mothers prof, who abort their babies profit in a lot of different ways in terms of careers, convenience, leisure, all these things which are nice to have, but in order to get that, they have to have their babies killed. So how do, how do we wrap this up? Well, God is good and just and true. And when we live rightly under his laws, we are blessed and we grow in, in righteousness. I mean, it just works in us. Not enough righteousness, righteousness to get saved, but still a righteousness that he brings to us. But however, that's not what our country is doing today. You know, corporately, we're just perverting the law for the benefit of the elite and the well-connected through this concept of legal plunder. So instead of bringing blessings upon our heads, we're bringing curses upon them. As bad as that sounds, though, don't give up hope yet. Uh, the good news is that through God, things are being reversed. That God is more powerful than man. That God's goodness is already undermining and eliminating, and eliminating our evil. That Christ has redeemed a people for himself out of corrupted man, and in fact, that he is making all things new, including the land that we live in today. All right, well, thank you for being with us on Excellent Thought, or actually Liberty Cafe, which I also post on our um, my uh, Excellent Thought website. So stop by there and visit that as well, as along the website of our sponsor, Texas Scorecard. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe by Texas Scorecard. You can find more shows and great content at texasscorecard.com. Please consider leaving a review or rating the show on whatever podcasting platform you listen on. 